This morning, we are starting our new series called The Chosen, which is based on the TV series, which is based on the life of Jesus as told by the Gospels. And as part of this series, every week we're going to be showing uh, two episodes uh, each week at every campus uh, to go through the first season as a church. And if you've never seen the series, I encourage you to come out and, and watch it with us. Uh, we're going to be here every Sunday in November at 6 p.m., and we'll have child care here. We'll have popcorn. What more could you ask for? It's like a date, uh, and isn't that sad? Uh, but uh, you can also watch with us along at home if you would so choose, and you can find more information on, if you want to follow along at home and watch the same episodes, you can find out more information on how to do that uh, through our announcement page on our QR code that we talked about a little bit earlier. Now, our hope and goal for this series is to cause us to fall in love with Jesus. It's that simple. We just want to fall in love with Jesus. And if you don't know him as your personal Lord Lord and Savior, we want to introduce you to him. We want you to come to know him and fall in love with him. We want you to believe in him and repent of your sins, confess him as Lord, and be baptized into him just like people have been doing since the book of Acts. Your greatest need in life is to be forgiven of your sins, to be saved, to be prepared for eternity, starting with your life right now. Jesus is all that you need, and he wants a personal relationship with you. He wants you to be saved. I mean, he came, that's why he came. He himself said, I came to seek and save the lost. And so that's why he came. That's why he lived on this earth. That's why he died on a cross, and that's why he came out of the tomb. Now, if you've already given your life to him, we want you to fall in love with him all over again, just like the first time. And what a way to get excited for Christmas, to get ready for it. As we prepare to celebrate the birth of Christ together, let's fall in love with Jesus all over again, church. Now, this morning, we are going to be going through John chapter 4 together. And so if you have your Bible with you this morning, go ahead and meet me over there. We're going to be starting in verse 1. We'll be there in just a few minutes. Now, the title of our message today is, He Knows Me. And we wrote that song just for this. I'm just kidding. But how perfect was that song to lead into this? David says in Psalm 139, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. God told the prophet Jeremiah uh, prophet Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Jesus knows you, and he knows you completely. He knows everything about you, everything about you, your thoughts, your secrets, every single thing about you, and he loves you unconditionally. And that can be hard for us to fully understand and, and comprehend sometimes, because earthly love is often dependent on who people perceive you to be, the, the mask we might put on, the facade that we might put up, the person that we want people to think that we are. Earthly love can be based upon what I may or may not allow you to see or know about me while I keep the fullness of my secrets and thoughts to myself. And in that, there's really only one person. God is, God is the only person that knows you fully. We, we fear that people may not love us if they knew all of us. But Jesus knows you completely, and the love of Christ is infinitely more than any earthly love we could ever know or experience. And that knowledge and that love is what we want to look at this morning in John chapter 4. 
Now, you might be familiar with the story. You might have heard it before. Uh, most people know it as the woman at the well, and it really is an incredible story of how the love of Jesus transcends any earthly ideal, how the love of Jesus tears down any wall, any barrier that our society tries to put up, how Jesus doesn't care about who our culture says we should or should not associate with and love. All right, so John chapter 4, verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who was baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where, where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I mean, very practically. If I don't have to keep coming back here for water, I'm going to avoid that. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you were right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am He. Now, this week, I, I had a conversation that uh, kind of reminded me, or this scripture kind of reminded me of that, and that I had a conversation with somebody I called, and, and they answered, I was kind of firming up plans for later that day, and, and we went through this whole conversation. I said who I was, but the conversation just seemed a little bit off, and at the end of the conversation, I just kind of wanted to like, just kind of go over the plan again, and, and okay, I'll be there, and my friend on the other line said, well, uh, Brian's coming at six to get me. Uh, and I said, this is Brian. And so I realized that the whole conversation we went, that he thought we were talking about, he was talking to somebody else and he was talking to me about me. That's how I feel about this woman with Jesus. She's talking about Jesus 
to Jesus. And he goes, no, no, the one you're talking about right now, that's, that's me. And, and this story is great enough on its own, but I wanted to add some context this morning to make sure you understand how truly special it is. So at the beginning of the story, Jesus is leaving, leaving Judea, and that's at the southern part of Israel. And he has to go up to Galilee, which is in the northern part. Now, the direct route between the two places went through a region known as Samaria's, Samaria. But most Jews would not go that way because the Jews, man, they, the Jews and the Samaritans, they did not get along. They didn't like each other at all. And, and there might be certain parts of town that you aren't comfortable driving through yourself. Uh, maybe at a particular time of day, or maybe at any time of day, uh, you would tell your kids, stay out of that part of town. You don't want to go over there right now. It's, it's dangerous. And if you were Jewish, you would tell your kids to stay out of Samaria. Don't go be driving through Samaria, uh, especially after dark. But not Jesus. He, he, see, Jesus went straight through. And I'm sure the disciples were like, Jesus, are you sure this is the way we normally go? You got to go around. You can't get through. But Jesus doesn't care about your societal norms. Their journey then leads them to this little town called Sychar, and when they arrive, the disciples leave him there to go buy some food. You know, they were probably all really hungry from this journey. They're thirsty, they're tired, and so the disciples go into town to buy some food, and Jesus decides, I'm going to rest at the well here. And so while he's sitting there, a local woman comes to the well to get water, and Jesus asked her if she would give him a drink. And this conversation, which starts out so innocently, so ordinarily, why, is it, why would it be out of the ordinary that this man would be sitting at a well in the middle of the day at noon, it's hot, of course he's going to want a drink of water. It starts out as such an ordinary thing, but it would change this woman's life forever. And not only hers, but the lives of many others from the town as well. John writes in verse 29 that she says, come see a man who told me everything that I ever did. And in a moment, in just a moment, this woman went from knowing of the Messiah to experiencing, experiencing him. And she wanted to tell everyone that she could about it. And the local people, they're so intrigued by what she told them that they, they begged Jesus to stay longer with them. And he obliged, staying two more days there. And it's pretty incredible that a group of Samaritans would beg a Jewish man to stay in their town and perhaps just as incredible that the Jewish man would say yes. But he did. And in verse 41, John says, because of, his many, because of his words, many more became believers. And they told the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. See, that is why Jesus stayed. He came to seek and save the lost, to go places and reach people who were previously considered to be those who could not be saved, who were previously considered unworthy of the Lord, but no more, because Jesus came to change all of that. And what an amazing story this is. A woman gets up one morning and goes to the well to get some water, just like every other day, I'm sure. This was probably part of her daily routine, just an ordinary day, but it was in the ordinary that she met Jesus. And before the morning was over, she was so captivated with him that she shared her testimony with the entire town. 
but not just her town, because now all these centuries later, we're still reading about it. Lives are still being changed by, the, by those who might be reading this for the first time. And this Samaritan woman's testimony became the means by which many experienced God's love and his grace for the first time. And the story, it shouldn't have happened. The Jews, they don't go into Samaria. Jesus shouldn't have been talking to a woman. Like, this, it shouldn't have happened. There were so many barriers that should have prevented this woman from meeting Jesus. But with Jesus, there are no barriers that he wouldn't tear down to get to the lost. And this woman at the well is a perfect example of that. Jesus knew her. He knew her completely. He knew everything about her, and he knew the conversation that would unlock the door of her heart. And so this morning, we want to look at some of the barriers that Jesus overcame in order to reach this woman, and how they might be some barriers that we need to overcome as well. So the first barrier that Jesus overcame is racial prejudice. In verse 9, the the woman responds to Jesus' request for a drink by saying, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then our author, John, he says, for Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Oh, But it doesn't stop there. In the NIV, there's a footnote that you might not have ever noticed before that provides even more context. This little footnote says that you could replace did not associate with Samaritans with do not use dishes Samaritans have used. Oh, again. I mean, that's a little next level, right? I mean, I can say that I won't associate with you, but if I say that I'm not even going to use a dish that you have used before, even if it's been through the dishwasher, come on. I mean, that makes it a little more personal. You don't like me? That's fine. You don't like me. You don't want to be around me? Our people don't get along? Okay. But you saying that you won't even use a dish that I've used before? Well, now there's some depth of your hate to me. You're calling me unclean. You're saying you would defile yourself just by touching something that I've touched. And so there was prejudice and division and certainly hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans, something that dated back centuries from this moment that we find here in John chapter 4, all the way back into the Old Testament. For over 700 years, these two people groups have hated one another to the point that, as we said earlier, the Jewish people would not even travel through Samaria. Now, in our world today, we certainly still deal with racial prejudice. And I do believe that racial division has been radicalized a bit for political gain, but I also believe that to tell yourself that we don't have issues in how we handle race in our country is not being completely honest. If we were to answer honestly some tough questions about racial prejudice, it could help us see areas where there is ugliness that we might not have realized was there before. Questions such as, what types of people cause you to cross the street if you're walking alone? Questions like, is there a particular people or ethnicity or race that you simply do not trust if you're being honest with yourself? Or is there a particular people, ethnicity, or race that you would be uncomfortable with your child marrying? And your answers on those questions, that doesn't automatically make you a racist. We're not out here to cancel anybody this morning. 
not out here to get anybody fired or anything like that. But being willing to ask those questions can reveal areas where you might have prejudice that you didn't even know about. And it can allow you to grow. See, in order to grow sometimes, we need to ask the tough questions of ourselves and be honest when we answer them. Because if there are answers to those questions that reveal racial prejudice, it probably means that there is racial prejudice in the way that you spread the gospel. And if we have been called to take the gospel of Jesus to the ends of the earth, to all people groups, that means that there can be no prejudice and that there should be a love in our heart for all people. And we should be willing to befriend and share Jesus with everyone, regardless of where they're from or what they look like. Friends, we need to tear down whatever racial barrier that there might be between us and somebody else, just like Jesus did that day at the well. And sometimes that starts by being honest with ourselves so we can remove the evil that lives within. The second barrier that Jesus overcame that day was religious confusion. Part of the deep-seated issues between the Jews and the Samaritans were caused by the Samaritans moving into Jewish lands and then trying to worship the one true God alongside their own false gods at the same time. And that religious confusion was still present when Jesus rolled into town that day. In verse 20, the woman says, Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, she was referring to to high places where shrines had been set up and and served as a place to worship the one true God alongside any God of their choosing. So she's not ignorant to who God is because she knows about Jacob. And and she even even says later, I know that Messiah is coming. But she also doesn't seem to have a clear understanding of what the scriptures actually say. But how could she? She was a product of her environment, an environment of religious confusion. But she was about to have that confusion cleared up for her by the ultimate source of truth. And like this woman at the well, there are a lot of people in our world today that are spiritually and religiously confused. They know about God, but they don't know God. They may claim to believe, but there's no relationship. There's no devotion. There's no sacrifice. There are many that, that check the box marked Christian, or maybe they used to, but now checking that box is, box is a little too toxic for them, and so they leave the boxes unchecked. And there are many that might come for the religion, not the relationship. They come for the name, for the feeling, for the status, for the routine, but ultimately they're just going through the motions. And for as upsetting as the declining Christianity numbers are, is it possible that as Christianity becomes more and more the minority in our country, that we are simply seeing those who have been pretending all this time and who have been confused all this time fall away while those who have a true relationship stay behind? Are we seeing that those who are religiously confused, they they leave because the truth is too hard to hear? Has it become more convenient and acceptable to worship at the altar of our society's other gods than the one true God? Sometimes our religious confusion can become a barrier to hearing and believing the gospel fully. The third barrier that Jesus overcame that day was a regretful past. And this was perhaps the woman's biggest barrier to coming to faith in Christ. The story of her life wasn't just regretful, it was shameful and sad. When Jesus told her to go get her husband, I imagine there was a lot of bitterness and regret in her voice when she answered, I don't have one. 
But Jesus knew, didn't he? Imagine the shock that must have come over this woman when the stranger at the well told her what perhaps even those that saw her every day didn't know. And I don't think there was an accusatory tone in Jesus' response to her. That wasn't his style. I believe there was compassion, understanding, and sorrow in his voice. I believe he hurt for her. He, he knew her fully and completely. He saw a life of broken relationships, of broken hearts, and broken dreams. He saw that five men had sent her away, decided they didn't want to be with her anymore, and that the man that she was currently with couldn't even bring himself to marry her. So you couldn't imagine the embarrassment that she might have lived with daily. I'm sure she knew how she would have been looked at in Jewish culture. And so as this Jewish man's looking at her, she's not going to admit what her life has actually looked like. And I'm sure she felt as though their God would not have wanted to had anything to do with her. If the followers of this God treated her as if she were nothing, then why would she believe that the God they follow would feel any differently about her? As you know, this is still a barrier to the gospel for people today. Many are too ashamed of their past to come to Jesus. They believe they're too broken, that they've made too many mistakes. But this woman is proof that God can take your mess and make a powerful message, one that could help many others find their way back to him. And one more thing about this woman and her past. Sometimes the only way people will experience Jesus is through the way his followers treat them. And unfortunately, that experience isn't always a true expression of how Jesus really feels about them or even what God's word says. And this is why a confused checkbox Christianity can be so dangerous. Because if you aren't following Jesus close enough to know how he really feels about them, how he really loves them, then putting your own spin on things can create a barrier to the gospel for people. One that makes people believe that Jesus feels the same way about them that you do. And so let us not misrepresent Jesus to those that don't yet know the truth. Jesus overcame these three barriers and more to reach this woman. Barriers that still exist today. Barriers that we too must, must overcome, both in our own personal relationship with Jesus and how we reach those that are lost with the gospel. And so to finish up this morning, I want to quickly look at three ways that Jesus connected with the woman at the well because he knew her completely. You know, when we are in our daily lives, you can go door to door, you can stand on a street corner with a megaphone and call that evangelism, but so many cases, the most effective way to evangelize to people and tell people about Jesus is to tell, talk to people that you are around every day, your friends, the people that you know the most. Because just like Jesus knew this woman completely, you know your friends, you know what they've been through, and you know how they need to hear about Jesus. Pathway to the gospel often begins with a personal connection. And so here are the three ways that Jesus reached the woman at the well that day. First, he talked about hope. Jesus tells the woman, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water willing, welling up to eternal life. Jesus knew that in her heart, this woman was searching for more. He knew that more than her physical thirst, her soul was thirsty for more. And then he offers her hope for what she's looking for. Friends, people need hope right now. Boy, do they need hope. And they might not say it. They might not even know it. 
They might not even know that that's what they're lacking, but they need hope, and there is no greater hope than the hope that is found through Jesus Christ. People who are far from God need hope before they can truly hear and believe the gospel. It starts with hope because the, hope, the message we have is a message of hope, a hope that extends beyond the pain of this world. Second way he connected with her was through honesty. Jesus knew the truth about the woman's relationships, and boy, he cut right to it. He didn't beat around the bush at all. Not only was he about to be lovingly honest with her, he was leading her to be completely honest with him. He was setting up an environment of honesty in this conversation. And so he spoke the truth in love, and while it may have been painful for her, Jesus was connecting with her beyond and behind the curtains of her heart. And as much as we might not want to face the sin that's in our life, this kind of loving honesty is the best way to remove it. Sin lives in the shadows of our lives and will continue until it is brought to light. John writes in 1 John 1, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us for, from all unrighteousness. We all need honesty in our relationships with Jesus in order to fight against our sinful nature. The third way he connected with her was heartfelt worship. And this final connection that Jesus made with the woman was about who she was becoming. It wasn't about who she had been or what she had been doing. It was about who she was becoming. And if you look through the Gospels, Jesus is never concerned with who you've been. It's about who you can become. In verse 23 of chapter 4, Jesus says, A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father and the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. No longer is it just only for the Jews. Now I have come so that all may experience the truth. God seeks heartfelt worship. He's not concerned with who you have been or the mistakes that you've made. He desires that you would turn your life over to him and become a person who offers themselves as a living sacrifice and true worship. To worship him sincerely and live in repentance, live in gratitude, live in joy, to have a living, loving relationship with his son Jesus, bearing the fruits of his spirit in your life. Friends, God knows you. And deep in your soul, there is a thirst for him that can only be satisfied with the living water that comes from Jesus Christ. The question this morning is, do you know him? Not just believe in his existence, not just know of him, do you know him? You may have erected barriers in your life, but there's nothing that will keep Jesus from tearing them down in order to win your heart and save your soul. Because he went to the cross, he defeated the grave to overcome every barrier that we could ever try to set up that would divide us from Jesus. And he's tearing them all down. The question is, are you ready to taste the living water that Jesus provides? Let's pray. 
Father God, we thank you so much for your immense love. The biggest barrier between us and you was our sin. And and for a long time, people ebbed and flowed and just couldn't seem to follow you consistently. And then finally, one day you sent your son Jesus to remove the greatest barrier there could ever be between us and you. Because you loved us so much that you didn't want anything separating us from you. And so, Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. That though we so often mess up, though we so often approach the throne unworthy, the blood of Jesus covers it all. And so, Father, I, I pray this morning that we would, our response to that would be a life of gratitude and a life of joy, a life of full-on commitment to your son, Jesus, a Savior that knows us completely, knows us inside and out, knows the things that nobody else knows, and yet loves us more than anybody ever could. Father, we're thankful for that love. We're thankful for that love that led to grace for each one of us, that Jesus went to the cross for all of our sins, and came out on the third day to overcome death, to overcome this world. And so, Father, I pray that we would leave here this morning as we look to fall in love with Jesus all over again, that we would look to a loving Savior that would go through all of that just for us. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Most of all, thank you for your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, like we said at the beginning, if you don't already know Jesus as your, as your Lord and Savior, if you don't have that relationship with him, if you've not turned everything over to him, made him the Lord of your life, boy, we hope you'll make that decision. There's no greater day than today to make that decision because it's the most important decision that you could ever make. And there's sacrifice involved and we struggle with control a whole bunch. We want to be in control But so often, when we try to take over control, when we try to take it from him, we end up in a place we don't want to be. And there is just some beauty in submitting over to to Jesus and saying, I want you to just, I want to follow you now. I want to live for you now. I'm I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. I just want to live for you. And wherever that takes me, it takes me. But I know at the end of the day, that one day I get to spend an eternity in heaven with you. So the only way to the Father, the only way to a hope that goes beyond everything that this world has for us is through His Son, Jesus. So this morning, if you've never entered into that relationship with Him, I hope you'll come and we can talk about it and we can, we can baptize you in front of all these people and we can celebrate that you've turned your life over to Him, that you are a new creation in Him this morning. So if you have that decision to make this morning, I'll be down front. I'd love to talk to you about it. If you already have that relationship and you are just going through some, some stuff right now, you know, this world doesn't quit. And sometimes you can be great. Sometimes it's the worst week you've had in a long time. And so if you just need some prayer, we would love to, to pray with you this morning. You know, God's gift of prayer is the greatest gift that we could have against the forces of this world. 
because it's above this world. So I would love to pray with you this morning. If you don't want to come right now, we can meet after the service or sometime during the week, or we would certainly encourage you to scan that QR code and submit a prayer request so we can pray over you as a staff. Just, you try to do it alone so much, and that gift of prayer is always there. And we would love to pray with you. So if you have a decision to make, if you need some prayer, I'll be right down front this morning, but I just ask all of us to stand and sing our final song together.